Hello, everybody. I am glad that we're all back together. I feel like it's been forever since we've been together. So this is our first greenhouse back of the year, and I am really happy to see all of you again. I have been, like, all day just checking my watch and, like, twiddling my thumbs and just waiting for you to get here. So I am super happy that you are all here tonight. Uh, I'm Braxton. I'm the junior high student minister, if you don't know me. Uh, Hunter has had a kid, and so... He's not here tonight. He'll be back shortly, so I'm going to be speaking tonight. Over the past few days, if you've been able to keep up with us on social media, we've been going through a reading plan as a student ministry. We've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we will continue to go through 2 Corinthians once we finish, but we've been reading a chapter a day. We started, I think, like on the third or something like that. And today is day eight, and so if you haven't had the opportunity to keep up with us and follow along, I would encourage you to start with us today. Start where we're at. Don't worry about catching up right now, but we're on chapter eight, and so I would encourage you to start in chapter eight. And that's where we're going to focus tonight, is 1 Corinthians chapter eight. Now, I'm excited about this passage because when you read this, this passage of scripture, when you read this chapter, this is not the... The passage that when you read it, you're just going to think about and it's going to just be like, oh yeah, that really stuck with me. I think this is one of those things that we we tend to skip over and read about. If someone was like, hey Braxton, I need you to speak. You can speak on whatever you want to speak on. It's probably not the topic I would pick. And so this is a very interesting chapter for us, but it's very important because there's really a lot to be learned here. And I have tons of resources that I've used uh, in preparing for tonight that if you would like to learn more, that I would be happy to share with you later and go more in depth. Now, for the message tonight, I'm a firm believer that the key to understanding what's happening in this passage, to understanding the scripture, is to really know the context of what's going on. And what I mean by that is it's important to know what's happening in this time in Corinth, what's What's the big deal here? What's going on in and around the passages around this? And so a little bit of context for you. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to, you guessed it, the church at Corinth. That's the name Corinthians. Now the city of Corinth was a large city, and it was known from the beginning for luxury and immorality. Think of like Las Vegas, right? We call Las Vegas Sin City, right? This is kind of how Corinth was back in the day. It had 26 places that were built to false gods for people to go and worship all these different gods. It had one temple that was dedicated to this false goddess named Aphrodite. And there were over 1,000 prostitute slaves for anyone who wanted to worship this goddess. This was a city that was known for indulgence, Live it up. Come and live your best life. Do whatever you want. Worship to whatever God you want in Corinth. But this was also a place where many philosophers made their home. There were some very well-educated people in Corinth. They prided themselves, actually, on their knowledge and on their wisdom. They were very educated. So this is a very interesting church that Paul is writing to. They're in the middle of the city. And as you read through this letter, as if you've been reading with us, or as you start reading with us, as you read through this letter, you'll see this church has quite a few problems that really need to be addressed. They had rivalries with each other. They were very spiritually immature, even though they shouldn't be. 
at this point, yet they prided themselves on how smart they were. They prided themselves on how wise they were and how eloquently they could speak. They had church members who were living in sexual immorality, and they were suing one another. They were taking each other to court in front of unbelievers and arguing and fighting in front of people who weren't saved. They were not setting a very good example at all what it looked like to be a follower of Christ for this lost city. In fact, we would probably look at this church today and be like, yikes, what's going on here? You know, this is one of those churches, they, they say they're a church, but really it's just, you can do whatever you want. It's not a church that we'd be like, oh yeah, that's, that's the place with the sound theological doctrine and all. And so Paul, he decides, he's going to write them a letter, and he's going to address some of these things, as well as answer some of these questions they had for him. Fun fact, this is actually not his first letter to the Corinthians. This is the first one we have, but he had written the letter previously. And so he's going to address some of these problems. They had written back to him, had been asking some questions, and that is where we find ourselves in chapter 8. Apparently, there had been some debate about, is it okay to eat the meat of animals that were killed as a sacrifice to false gods? Now, that's not something we really encounter a lot today. We don't just have people sacrificing cows to false gods in our backyards or our neighbors doing that very often. That's not something we find. I've certainly never experienced that. I I would have a hard time believing that you've experienced that. Maybe you have. With all these false gods in one place, for the people of Corinth, people were making sacrifices daily and worshiping these false gods. And so the people of Corinth at the church, they couldn't agree. Is it right or is it wrong to eat the meat of these animals? We might not deal with this very often, but today there's disagreements all the time about how to handle a, pro- a world that is filled with idolatry. And that's when you boil it down, that's the problem they're having. How do we handle this, this world that's just full of false worship and, and idolatry? And even today we disagree on what we should do about that. Is a very present thing. We might not be bowing down to little, uh, to little wooden idols, little gold statues, or some false god, but I would argue that idolatry is one of the most common sins that we deal with every single day. An idol can be anything in our life that is more important than God. It might not look like bowing down to a false idol or bowing down to this false god, but maybe... It's spending more time on Instagram than with the Son of God. Or maybe it's, well, I just didn't have time to spend with Jesus today because I'm just so busy. But did you have time to talk to your friends? Did you talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend? Did you scroll on TikTok? Did you watch YouTube? Did you play video games? Did you go to practice after school? Right? An idol is anything that we put in the place of God. Idols can come in all shapes, forms, and fashions. And a lot of times, we might not even recognize that we have an idol in our life. And so this message is important for us tonight. Because just like in Paul's day, where they couldn't agree on how to live in a world with such idolatry, Christians disagree today on how to handle these things. Some people take the approach that we should completely withdraw from society. We're going to boycott everything. If they support sin, we're going to have nothing to do with it. And so they basically they live as monks or nuns and, and get away from everything. 
And there are other people who take the exact opposite approach. They say, you know what? Let's immerse ourselves in this culture. Let's get involved for the sake of evangelism. Maybe we can make a difference by being there. After all, it's all about really if our hearts are in the right place. That's really all that matters, right? As you can see, these two ways of thinking, they're entirely different. They don't agree with each other. And when you have the people over here saying, we shouldn't have anything to do with them, let's retreat, let's get away from everything. We have these people over here who are saying, let's jump in, let's use evangelism as a tool. You can really start to have division in the church. And so Paul has the perfect strategy on how to handle these issues. Here's what you do. Very simply, he says, love. Love is the best way to exercise our Christian liberty is the best way to solve these divisions. And so let's get into the scripture. We're going to start in verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now, since it was a common practice for animals to be sacrificed at this time, the Christians and Corinth would run into this fairly often. You see, there were only certain parts of the animal that were used in this sacrifice, and so oftentimes what they would do, the priests of these false gods, they would return the meat to the people who brought in the animal, or they would sell it in the market. And so the church was running into this quite regularly. So let's, let's try to put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine this with me, okay? Imagine that you're a missionary, all right, and you move off to some foreign country, not the U.S., you move away to some foreign country, and you've been living there a while, and you've made connections with people, you've started to build friendships and relationships with people, and there's this one person that you've just been trying and trying and trying to invite to church, to share the gospel with. You're so desperate for them to come to know Jesus. And suddenly, one day, it's like something clicks, and they invite you over. They say, hey, man, why don't you come over? And so you go over to your friend's house. They got some nice, juicy steaks. They're going to offer you. You're, you're super hungry because you haven't eaten all day, looking forward to eating some steaks. But here's the problem, right? The cow that they used to cook these steaks, originally it was used as a sacrifice to a false god. So what do you do? Now all of a sudden you have to make this decision. Do you eat the steak? Is it wrong to eat the steak? I mean, you didn't really have any part in the sacrifice. You don't even worship the false god. In fact, you were just invited over by your friend. He's cooking steaks. Who doesn't love a good steak? And you know that there really isn't anything to these idols, right? They're, they're false gods. There's only one true god. And so what is the issue if you eat the steak? Is there, is there really a problem with eating the steak? And some of you might be like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to enjoy a nice juicy steak. And some of you might say, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's, there's only one God. I just, I just don't know if I feel right about eating something that's, that's been a part of worshiping a fake God. And so all of a sudden, we have this problem that the church of Corinth just could not agree on. Do we eat the steak? And so now, imagine, right, same situation. Your friend's invited you over. He's, he's having steak tonight. But you have someone else who's there with you. 
And they are also a missionary. They're also a Christian. And you're like, yeah, let's get us some steak, boys. But your friend's like, ah, just, I don't know if I can eat this steak. I think it's wrong that we eat this steak. So now, what do you do? Do you eat with your lost friend to maintain the relationship? After all, Jesus ate with sinners, right? Or what about your friend whose conscience won't allow them to eat? Do we just not eat in front of them? Do we try to make it to where the other friend just grows up and he's just, he's going to see, hey, look, these are idols. They're not real gods anyways. I mean, come on. We all know there's only one true God. And so here's the issue that Corinth is facing, right? That's a difficult decision. And so Paul is addressing this issue, and he makes it clear that above all else, his concern is for the well-being of the brother or sister in Christ. And so first what Paul does is he addresses this know-it-all group, right? The group that says, well, they're, they're false gods anyways. And so in verse 1, we see that Paul is quoting them. He says, we all have knowledge. This was a, a phrase that was going around in the day. This was their catchphrase. The group here was basically boasting of spiritual maturity when they said this, though. They used the slogan of, we all have knowledge, to claim that they had this spiritual gift of knowledge, and that those who didn't feel right about eating this meat, they just didn't have that gift. They were basically saying, we have the knowledge and we have the spiritual maturity to eat this meat because I know there's only one God. I am so spiritually mature that I have this knowledge. I mean, everybody should know that. But since you don't feel right about eating this meat, then you just must not be as spiritually mature as I am. That's a jerk move, right? You're like, okay, come on, bro. And so Paul is saying that the problem here is really not a problem of knowledge at all. It's a problem of love. He says knowledge puffs up. And knowledge alone, that's exactly what it can do. It makes us a know-it-all, full of pride and about ourselves. But Paul says that knowledge with love, this is completely different. This builds up. It builds the body of Christ, making it healthier and stronger. So knowledge is a good thing, but it has to have love with it. Verse 2 says that thinking that you know everything really shows that you don't know anything at all. If we have spiritual knowledge that's tearing others down rather than building up the body of Christ, then what good is it doing? Because it's only bringing hurt. In verse 3, Paul shows us that's not what we know that's important in any ways. It's who we know. He says, but if anyone loves God, he's known by him. And loving God should lead us to love others. If we love God, then we cannot help but love the person that Jesus died for. And so he continues on. In verse 4, he says, About eating food sacrificed to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Paul addresses their arguments that an idol doesn't really mean anything because there is only one God. He's addressing this argument, right? And Paul says, yeah, you're right. He agrees with them. You're right. There's not really anything to these idols. 
There is only one God. That's correct. But the point that he wants to make is that our theology, our knowledge of the things of God, they should never, ever be an excuse to mistreat another believer. Never. Theology is the study of God. And so if we love God as we should, even if we disagree on something, at the end of the day, Jesus died for you. And because of that, you're worthy of love. But then he goes on and he says that even if these so-called gods were, yes, you and I may know that they don't really exist, but a lost person doesn't know that. Someone who's not a follower of Christ, especially in this time, they might not know that. And so not only could you be making other believers stumble, but think about the appearance that you're giving off to this lost friend. All because of your knowledge, right? I'm going to eat this steak because I know there's just one God anyways. But this lost friend, he's thinking, hey, I sacrificed this cow to, to my God, a God that he doesn't worship. Maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe, maybe he's okay with that. And so Paul follows up and he, he makes sure he know that the Corinthians know there is only one God. Yes. Yes, the world might have many false gods and everyone's going to bow down to something and place something as the role of God in their life. But there is only one God. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have, uh, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat. We are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idle simple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister, whom Christ died is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this, against brothers and sisters, and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So these smart guys in Corinth, the guys who had this knowledge, they're trying to justify their way of thinking and their way of living by claiming that all believers should have this knowledge. All believers should know, every believer knows, right? Every believer knows that an idol's not anything. But Paul, excuse me, says that the truth is, is not everyone has this knowledge. Some of the newer believers who are still weak, as they referred to them, weak in their faith, they're growing in their faith. They had struggles with it. These people had family members who bowed down to false gods. They went home to mom and dad, who worshipped a different God than they did. So what do they do? Do they eat the meat? And he's saying not everybody has knowledge of this. All their life, they've been enslaved to idols and enslaved to worshipping these false gods. And you're eating food sacrificed to false gods in front of them. What does that say to this young believer? And so Paul, what he really wants to drive home here, is that sure, you might be able to eat this food, and have no conviction about it. And, and 
Truth be told, yeah, there's nothing wrong with eating meat, but it's not worth the harm that you might be doing to others or even causing others to doubt their faith in God. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather the interest of others. So Paul is saying to these guys, how selfish can you be? Sure, you have the freedom to eat food. Sure, you have the the knowledge to know this or that, or you think this is the right thing to know. But be careful that this right of yours doesn't become a stumbling block to someone else. The question they should have been asking is not, can we eat the food? It should be, what's the most loving thing I can do here to be more like Christ in the situation? And Paul tells us in these final verses that by choosing to put our right over love for a brother or sister, that we can cause them to stumble and they can be ruined all because we cared about me. We cared about ourselves more than we care about the soul of another. And what could be more anti-Christian than that? Jesus literally came and died for this person because he loved them so much. And yet, you want to eat the meat. You want to be the one who flexes your spiritual maturity here. Paul tells us that when you choose to put your own desires and your own wants above what others or above others, you're causing them to stumble and you're sinning against them and ultimately you're sinning against the body of Christ. You're sinning against Christ. And so he says, he decides, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. And so the main idea, the main point I want you to take away from this is no, we might not have food sacrificed to idols. But what I want you to know is that the spiritual good of others should always take priority in our lives. The decisions we make, the way we live, the way we act around others should be because we're concerned of the spiritual good for others. Theology and studying and learning about God is a wonderful thing. I love it. I'm passionate about it. And I can't encourage you enough to study about God, learn more about Him, grow to be more like Him and studying who he is. But I want to leave you this thought, what Jesus said. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by your theology, not by how smart you are and how much you know or what your view is on this or that. He says, if you love one another, that's how people will know that you're my disciples. So how do you show a lost world Jesus? By your love for others. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. What's true for the church in Corinth is true for you. Jesus died for you. And he rose again. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you. If that's not something you've done, we're about to dismiss the groups. And I want to encourage you to talk to your leader. They would love to share with you about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for every individual in this room and giving us the opportunity to gather together and to be able to worship you and praise your name and to look into your word. 
I pray that as we go from here, that we would be moved to love others, whether it be a brother or sister in Christ or whether it be the one who doesn't know you, Lord. I thank you for coming, dying on the cross, and raising you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.